0: No, And I think people realize it, I just don't think maybe we're as mindful as we should be, is that whether you, you're you mindful of it, realize or not, you're under attack. That's right. We have an enemy, the Bible's very clear about this, is that we have an enemy, and really if you want to get kind of technical and more in a biblical term, we're at war with another entity. We are part of what? Another kingdom, yes. Right. We are called children of the kingdom of light, and yet there is a kingdom of darkness that is there. Now, let me just say this up front. I don't believe that every little thing that goes wrong is the devil. There is something called consequences. You make a bad decision, you know, take a turn too fast, or, you know, don't take a take a a curve in the road a little too fast, you're going to run into the ditch. Why? Because you didn't pay attention to the sign that said, slow down. (laughs) That's not the devil. That was you not paying attention to the signs, right? But there are times and situations where it is absolutely beyond just the natural forces at work against us. You know, and so I I just want to share some things with you and and to really make you mindful and, and, you know, to really understand what you have, you know, this week. As I was kind of preparing, I, you know, you always see these videos online, and so I saw some this week. You know, it um, was somebody that all these I don't know what you call them, but to me they're humorous, you know. But like where somebody these people they were showing all these fail videos of people jumping on motorcycles and they don't know what they're doing, and so they you know and then they like run into a car or run out into a field somewhere and they get thrown out why because they don't know how to hit the brake. <laughs> that might have been some useful information. This is the gas. This is the brake. But they didn't know that, and so what happened? They didn't know what, how to use what they had. Therefore, they got hurt. It wasn't. It was supposed to be fun, right? I mean, riding motorcycles, or you get the videos where you know, you, and these are more my favorites, where uh, you know you can just tell that somebody's holding a gun and they don't have a clue what they're doing. You know, when somebody's got a shotgun and they're doing this number, you're like, oh no, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad, but I gotta watch. And uh, you know, and why? Because they're not familiar with what they're doing. You know, and so you got. You know, I used to have this clip on my on the desktop of my computer many years ago, and it was a guy. He was actually in a shooting range, but he. I don't even know what it was. I mean, it was like a fifty caliber, something big. But you could tell this guy was not ready for what he was about to do. And so he's. You know, it's even on a stand on a table and all this stuff. And uh, you know, he shoots it and the gun just goes. And he, it knocks him down, breaks the glass behind him, and he's yelling and screaming on the ground. I thought it was the most hysterical thing ever. So I just left it on my desktop so that anytime time I was in a bad mood, I just went and clicked on it, and it just popped it up and played it. And it would make me laugh, you know. So I don't know if I just have a weird sense of humor or what. But, but you know, there's a lot of Christians who live life that way. You have tools, you have resources, you have things that God has put in in your life and at your disposal, but yet you don't know what you have, therefore you're getting thumped every now and then. You know, and um, so I want to share some things uh, about this because I want you to understand what you have and what's at your disposal because, you know, I I mean, I understand it, you know, from a theological position, you're like, what does that mean? That's the study of God, by the way, in case you're wondering, Uh, you know, and really the study of the Bible. But Theologically speaking, yes, Satan is defeated, but his ultimate defeat has not been put down yet. He is still the God of this world. We're just not we no longer belong to this world, therefore we have been rescued under from underneath his control. Yeah. But yet we can ignorantly stay under his control. And ignorant is not as in stupid, it's ignorant as in you don't know any better. The Bible says people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. For a lack of understanding. People are destroyed and the enemy can work in our life if we don't know what the Bible says. That's why it's important that we know Scripture. That's why it's important that we read the Word of God and we allow it to really get into our heart. Why? Because what happens when we read the Word of God, you know what it brings? It brings discernment. God's Word will discern the moment for you. Where is this just a coincidence? Is this just like you know a consequence? Or is this the work of the enemy? And it's important to be able to recognize the difference. Well, when we have the word in our heart, the Holy Spirit has something to work with and we'll realize, hey, that's the work of the devil. This isn't just a natural thing. That person that's just real antagonistic towards me, there's more to that than just them not liking me. This isn't a personality conflict. There's something more going on here. And so I want to share some things with you uh, along this. But, you know... And I think this is why it's important. Because as children of God, as Christians, we are at war for a lot of things. First and foremost, our families. If you've got kids, you're at war for your kids. You're at war for your spouse. And if you're not warring for your marriage, you're probably losing. If you're not fighting for your marriage, the devil is probably getting the upper hand. If you're not actively engaged in your kid's life, he is. Here's one thing we can know about the devil. He never takes a day off. He's active all the time. He doesn't take days off. And yet we do. And I say we because I'm included in that. That I let my guard down and I allow things to come in. And I'm not really maybe being as attentive as I should to areas of my life. And then all of a sudden the enemy gets a foothold. Why? Because I wasn't paying attention. You know, and I really wasn't doing the things. And so we need to fight for our families. We need to be actively engaged, praying for our families, praying for one another, speaking God's word over our family, declaring it over our homes. I mean, something simple like our home is a home of peace. We're not going to have strife. We're not going to have division. We come here. This is our sanctuary. This is where I come to rest. So devil, where you come, comes strife. So if I have strife, the devil's in my house. He's an unwanted guest. Let me say that he ain't even a guest. He's an unwanted visitor. And I can kick him out. Well, I have to be mindful of those things. I have to protect that in my life. So we're at war for our families. We're at war for our communities. For the culture around us. Even for our nation. And when you really get down to it, you're at war for your own life. I mean, yes, it's on a much larger scale. But also... In your own personal life, your own personal heart, your own personal mind, your thoughts. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. I'm gonna read this out of the Amplified Bible. Fairly familiar passage of scripture, but it says, be well balanced. It says, be temperate and sober of mind. It says, be vigilant and cautious at all times. Don't let your guard down. Be cautious, be aware, pay attention. It says, "For that enemy of yours, the devil roams like a roaring or ro- roams around like a, a lion roaring. I can't talk all of a sudden. And it says, "In fierce hunger, the devil has an appetite. He's looking for dinner. he's looking for what? for, you know, for something, that, And it goes on here, and it says that he is seeking someone to seize upon and devour. The enemy is constantly looking. Where's an easy meal? Who's somebody that I could easily dupe that's not paying attention? Who's kind of got their focus in the wrong areas? And not really paying attention to what really matters. It goes on here in verse 9. And it says, Withstand him, be firm in the faith against his onset. It says, To be rooted, established, strong, and immovable, and determined. Knowing that the same sufferings... That you're experiencing are also being experienced throughout the rest of the world. In other words, you got problems. You're not the only one. The devil would love nothing more than for you to believe you're the only one who has this problem. No one else is like you. You're weird. There's something wrong with you. No, there's not something wrong with you. You have a flesh that you have to deal with like every other human being that's breathing at this very moment. And you got to deal with it. And with that flesh comes life. And with life comes some problems sometimes. But we have to, what, be firm, be established in what? Be established in what the Word of God says for us. To be immovable off of God's promises. Why? Because we have an enemy. He's looking for somebody to have their guard down. And it's important that we understand that we have an enemy. Now, we understand also from Scripture that he is a defeated enemy in our life. He can run havoc until we say, stop. Until we just draw a line in the sand and say, no more. Why? Because we've been given the authority of Christ. Jesus had authority over all, everything, heaven and earth, right? He looks at the disciples and says, I'm giving you all power and all authority. And, and so, you know, but we are, so we, we, let me say it this way. You have the ability. You have the authority. You're not trying to do something that you're not uh, really supposed to do. You're not usurping authority. You're not going around. No, this is who you are. And if you're going to experience really all that God wants in your life, you're going to have to be vigilant about this. You're going to have to pay attention because there is an enemy who's lurking and he's waiting, and we need to pay attention. I love, you know, as I begin to study this and read into this, I came across several verses that I really liked and some uh, some words, uh, some specific phrases, if you will. But over in Psalms 18, I'm going to read a few verses here. We were just singing a song that kind of mirrors this in a way, but it says in verse 31 of Psalms 18, it says, For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? I want you to hear verse 32. God arms me with strength. God arms me with strength. If you feel weak... Come back to this verse and say, Father, I thank you that just as it says here, as David wrote, that you would give him strength. You're no respecter person. You'll give me strength. I'm tired and I'm wore out and I'm tired of fighting this battle, but I can get strength from you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So God's arm arms me with strength and he makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. says he trains my hands for battle and he strengthens. Now, go back to there. He trains my hands for battle. This isn't just about David being a warrior. And I'm going to show you this in a couple moments. This actually applies to us as well. Since he trains my hands for battle, he strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. It says, you have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. Now, I think it's interesting that word help there, by the way, because David didn't just say, you have made me great. In other words, there was a participation from David with what God was doing that made him great. It wasn't David by himself and it wasn't God by him. There was a connection and a walking together that said, God, with your help, you have made me great. David still had to do some stuff. He still had to walk in obedience to what God had for him. To experience and really to see and to step into what God had for him. He says in verse 36... He says, I chased my enemies and I caught them and I did not stop until they were conquered. I like David. He's my namesake. But I like his attitude. I didn't stop running when I got tired. I, got, I quit running when they got conquered. And there's this attitude that says, "I'm devil, you keep coming at me and I'm going to fight back. I'm not going to lay down and play dead and hope you go away. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I have been armed with strength from my father. I have been trained, my hands have been trained like a skilled boxer. You know, it's like the old saying, you don't want to bring a a knife to a gunfight. If you're going to get in a fight, you better know what kind of fight it is. If I'm going to get into a wrestling match, I don't want to come with boxing gloves on. Because I'm about to get worked. It's going to be bad for me. Because I'm wrestling and I can't grab. That's kind of important. You know, and many times I believe that uh, we're not really paying attention to what the enemy does. And we're more afraid of him. Now I'm going to make a statement and take it for what it is. I want the devil to be more afraid of me than I am of him. I I don't want to pull back and be like, it's him. Why? Because the Bible says that when we actually see him in truth, we're going to be like, that's him? That's the one that made people just so afraid? He's not anything great and, and just He's a force and yes I'll say it this way I will I'm trying to think how to word this I'm going to use this word but it's not the best word I will respect Him but I will not be afraid of Him right. in other words, I'm not going to be ignorant and just be like oh He's just nothing yeah there were some guys in the book of Acts named the seven sons of Sceva who got their tails kicked and stripped butt naked running through the streets too because they thought there wasn't anything to the demonic. Why, wow, you know, and you even, you know, kind of use this as they said, they said, you know, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches about, come out. Uh-huh. And they say, and the demons speak up out of the man and say, well, who are you? Uh-huh. Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but don't know you. I would like it that when I show up somewhere, the devil's like, oh, I'm going to leave. I don't don't want to fight today. I'm not in the mood. He's been bothering me. And I say that somewhat lightly, but... Why do I need to be afraid? Do I not serve the Lord Almighty? Am I not on His side? Is He, more importantly, is He not on my side? Is He not for me, with me, fighting with me? Yes, I mean, to the point that he says, hey, hey I'm going to train your hands for battle. I'm going to equip you and I'm going to train you so that you know how to fight. Psalms 144 verse 1. He says, praise the Lord who is my rock. He says, he trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. He trains my hands for war, and he gives my finger skills for battle. See, God wants us prepared for when the enemy comes. But it's not, you know, and what happens is, and I said this a moment ago, is that the devil never takes a day off. And so what happens is, is that we don't realize that there is a spiritual battle happening 24 hours a day, seven days a week against us. And the devil and all demonic entities are scheming, planning, and plotting for what? Our destruction. All the time. And so we think, well, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to get my fix this week. And then, but don't worry about spiritual stuff tomorrow. You better be aware of spiritual stuff tomorrow. Not because I need to be afraid, but I need to be aware that, hey, the battle didn't, you know, it's not like the end of a, of a game of some sort. Like, oh, well, the fourth quarter's over. No more football today. See you next Sunday, devil. Like, it doesn't work like that. The devil's waiting, looking for what? The moment that you're least prepared for him. In the area that you're not paying attention to. He is looking. He is subtle. He is crafty. The Bible gives us instructions in in Corinthians. It says, don't be ignorant of the way the enemy works. Be aware. Be mindful of it. Now, I want to show you, and I mentioned this here a moment ago, but uh, over in 1 Samuel chapter 17, I'm going to go through quite a few scriptures this morning, by the way. I'm going to roll through them if I can. But this is the story of David and Goliath. Now, Many of you know the story. If you don't know it in depth, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath. Young shepherd boy for 40 days. Goliath comes out. He's insulting. He's, you know, and really he's using intimidation. He's using fear to paralyze an entire army. And then David shows up and he's like, who is this guy? And why is he insulting us? And why is he cursing God? And You know, but, you know, David didn't realize it. But when he was out there in the field protecting those sheep, God was preparing him for a battle to come. David didn't know that. He just thought he was doing his job. That's why it's important to actually be doing the things that God is asking of you right now. Why? Because there's preparation and he's wanting to prepare your hands for what is to come. See, David, and it's exactly what's his attitude. He went and stood before the king and says, Look, just like I killed the lion, just like I killed the bear, this uncircumcised Philistine will be no different. And I'm not going to have any problem with him. Because the Lord is with him. Now, I want you to, but I don't want to read the whole story, but I want you to hear David's response. Because he walks out to the battlefield, and there's a whole lot of detail that I'm leaving out, but for the sake of time, I just want you to hear this part, though. He walks out there, and Goliath does what he's done for the previous 40 days in a row. He's trying to intimidate David and says, Hey, why are you sending this boy out here to fight a man's fight? Who is he? He's just a little kid. I'm a, I'm a skilled warrior. Yep. I mean, I, you know, in our modern day verbiage, we might say something like, Have you guys lost your mind? Yep. This kid has no armor. I'm a, like, elite forces, SEAL Team Six kind of guy. I kill people for a living, and you're bringing me a boy who watches some animals. I mean, that's kind of the scenario. I mean, Goliath was a warrior of warriors. So the last thing that Goliath says to David is, come over here, let me feed you to the birds of the air. He says, David, get ready. I'm going to kill you, and then I'm just going to feed you to the animals. David responds in 1 Samuel 17 verse 45. And he says, you come at me with a sword." and a spear and a javelin. So, Goliath, you're fighting this battle on natural terms. You're looking at me sheerly from the natural's point of view. You see that I don't have a shield, I don't have a javelin, I don't have a knife, I don't have anything in the natural. But, Goliath, you're looking at the wrong fight. You judge me based off of my natural, what you perceive to be my natural abilities. And David says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you, have to, whom you have defied. It says, today the Lord will conquer you. Now, think I want you to hear these words. Pay attention to these words. The Lord will conquer you. I will kill you. The Lord will conquer you. I'm not coming at you with a bunch of um, military gear and garb and the best weapons of the day because he could have because Saul tried to give them to him. But he said, Goliath, I just want you to know I'm not going to conquer you. The Lord's going to conquer you, but I'm going to be the one to kill you. See, this is that participation part. God did not kill Goliath. David killed Goliath. But David was not the one who conquered him. So, you know, I mean, many times this is what people, I I think, perceive is that that rock is what killed Goliath. Best case scenario, it probably knocked him out. He took a stone and boom. Most people think, oh, well, he died. Then why would he need to cut his head off? It's just a thought. At best, he was bewildered. More than likely got knocked out because it does say that he fell. Once you get hit in the head, you know. I don't know how many of you, I hit my head enough that it stinking hurts. And I've done it a few times where it's taken me to my knees, yes. But yet here he says that the Lord, he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord. He says, today he will conquer you and I will kill you and will cut off your head. He says, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the, God, or that the Lord rescues His people, not by the sword and the spear. This is the Lord's battle, and He will give it to us. But did David not have to step onto that battlefield? Yep. Even though the battle is the Lord's. And I believe many times that's the way as Christians, we, if we're not careful, the devil loves nothing more than for us to say, well, the battle's the Lord's, the battle's the Lord's, the battle's, but we still got to step onto the battlefield realizing that God still needs us to, to participate and God wants to use us to what? To, to finish off what he starts. Jesus started the overthrow of Satan's kingdom. He will ultimately finish it. But right now, he's looking for us to continue that. To enforce what he's already begun. And many times, I believe that we don't realize that. That we struggle in the, in this thought. And the fact is, is that you have everything you need to overcome the work of the devil in your life. But many times, we simply don't know or don't recognize. That's where that discernment comes in. You know, I remember it was... Uh, a little over a year ago, year and a half ago, uh, there was a, a time about a three-week period for me and Darren where every day, literally every day, something was hitting. And they weren't little things, they were big things. I mean, it just seemed, if it wasn't for us personally, it was in the church, it was this, and every day. And I got to where I, kept, where I started making this. I'd walk in the door, and this would be what I'd say at our house. I'd look at Darren, and I'd be like, the hits keep on coming. And it just stopped. It was right around Easter last year. This is one thing. After, you know, a day or two, you would think I would have been like, there must be something going on here. This isn't coincidence. Unfortunately, I wasn't that fast. And it took me about a week or a week and a half. And I'm like, and, I, and I'd even tell them, I'm like, something's going on. This is strange. This is weird. And then, thankfully, I realized, I'm like, the devil's working. This is not natural. This is spiritual. Now, they were all natural things that happened. But what, But the way they were coming about was not just natural. There was something else at work in the unseen realm. So we had to get together and we had to take authority over that. And it didn't mean that everything stopped in that moment. But we just began to speak the word of God over us. Send devil, you're not going to win this fight. We're not quitting and we're not backing up. We're going to see God deliver us. We're going to see God work for us. He's the strength of our life. I'm not going to stop. That's when faith becomes real. God, you are for me. You are on my side. That you're going to work for me. So quickly, I want to give you three ways to recognize. Three ways to discern the enemy's work in your life. Now, these aren't anything like, you know, it's not new revelation. But it is a good reminder. Because I, it's important. If you're going to fight, you've got to know who you're fighting. And I think sometimes we blame things on the devil that aren't the devil. It's our own fault. But we just keep saying, he's the problem, he's the problem, he's the problem. And the problem doesn't go away. Why? Because he's not the problem. (laughs) We are. You know, I'm broke. Do you keep spending money? That's not the devil's fault. He didn't steal your debit card and run to Walmart. (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, I like to buy things. Stop buying things and you might, you you know. I mean, that's not the devil's fault. You know, I mean, I'm just saying. So here's the first one. Three ways to recognize or to discern that the enemy's at work. I'm going to give you three scriptures for this, for each one, or one for each a scripture for each one of these. Uh, John ten ten. He says the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, "My purpose is to give um, to give you a rich and a satisfying life." So it's real easy to tell. Do you feel stolen from? You know, and there's a difference. Like, let me give you an example of this. Have you ever been, like, maybe even around somebody or walked into an environment and something just doesn't settle right in your heart? And I don't mean, like, just the air's blowing the right direction, hits you the right way, and you got a chill bump. You're like, oh, this is freaky. Or they got some weird music playing. I mean, like, something on the inside of you says, uh, I don't know if I really want to be around this person. Yeah. Parents, you ought to pay attention to that. I don't know if my kids need to be around them. Like, I don't want to be the uncool parent. It's better to be the uncool parent than to deal with the fallout of a child who's out of control. And the pain that will come with that will be far greater than that momentary discipline of I'm not the the favorite parent or, the, you know, the cool parent or whatever it may be. You got to pay attention to those things. I mean, my parents were, I didn't like them i just tell you. I didn't like my parents. You know, I just didn't. Like, Mom, I'm going over here. No, you ain't. I don't know them. I'll be right back. No, you ain't. (laughs) Who you with and where are you going? I don't know their parents. You ain't going over. You definitely ain't spending the night over there. They can come here. That was always my parents' thing. They can come here. They can come here. They can come here. I'm like, I want to go somewhere else. And my friends were always like, let's go to your house. And I'm like, no. I don't want to. My parents saved themselves and me a lot of grief. I mean, I did enough stupid stuff with them paying attention. Why? Because they were bound and determined that I was going to get to do whatever God had called me to do as much as I fought it. But... Why? Because they realized that there was an enemy out for me. And there's an enemy out for you, and there's an enemy out for your kids, and he's seeking. Right. And young people are just prime bait. Oh. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> they can't see consequence. It's the last part of their brain that fun- that really <laughs> builds out. So they think, this is going to be fun. They don't think about two years from now. They don't even think about two minutes from now. Right. Why? They lack the ability I love you teenagers. It's just true. Okay. <laughs> I was once in your shoes too. No, but, but you have to pay attention to those little checks you get in your heart. So it always drove me the most crazy. Because I, I, I always asked why. That was my favorite question. Why? 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 Can I do this? No. Why? Can I have this? No. Why? Like just always. And my mom would say, because I just don't feel right. I hated that. Just give me a reason. You not like them? Is there something wrong with like what's the, I don't know, I just don't feel right. And my mom was always right by the way. And I knew it when she said it, and that's why I got mad about it. Cuz I wanted to go get in some trouble with that friend or those people or whatever they may have been going on. No, the enemy is out and so but if you can and and I'll say this, if you find yourself in a situation you need to pray and say, "Lord, I need you to open up my eyes to see." Show me the root of this and where it's coming from. Is this something that I've done? Is this something that I've opened the door to? Or is this the work of the enemy trying to come in and to steal, kill, and destroy in my life? Discernment is necessary. It's a vital part for us to live right now. We need discernment. You're like, well, what's discernment? You know, the Bible actually talks about the gift of discernment. Here's what discernment is. It's the ability to tell right from wrong. Now, I know that doesn't seem like a big deal... Think about our culture right now. Right and wrong are not clear and black and white any longer. So you actually need some discernment. I mean, you know, I mean, even something as natural as, do I need to buy this car? Unfortunately, I did not listen to discernment one time, and it cost me dearly in the tunes of thousands of dollars. I paid more in fixing a car than I did for the car. And I paid a decent amount for the car. And I knew I shouldn't have bought it. And I didn't listen. And I literally paid for it. And I knew better. I mean, even something like buying a house. Buying anything. I ain't talking about a gallon of milk. Lord, do I need to buy this gallon of milk? Is it expired? (laughs) Then, yeah, sure, buy the gallon of milk if you want some milk. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff, but important decisions. Where should my kids go to school? Do I need to take this new job? Do I, you know, I mean, things, things that are big decisions, you need some discernment. You need to ask the Lord. Lord, is there favor in this next step, or do I need to just hang out where I'm at for a few? That's discernment. We need that. Here's another one, the second one. I'm going to read you. uh, This comes out of Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. So, this is right on the heels of um, Peter professing that Jesus was the Son of God, he was the Messiah. You know, and Jesus says, yes, on this, you know, revelation, I'm going to build my church. Verse 21, it says, then Jesus began to to tell the disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. It says he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside, this guy who just had the great revelation. Now this is, let me just say this. Because we're talking about how the enemy works. At your greatest mo- moment of spiritual strength is the moment you need to be the most aware of the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. You just had a great breakthrough. And you're like, praise God. The enemy's coming on the back side of it right. immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because we've got some confidence about, it. man, things are great. Things are good. Uh-huh. Now, I'm not looking for a demon under every rock. I'm not saying that. But. At Peter's kind of apex of his life with Jesus. That was his shining moment with Jesus. I have a revelation from heaven that you are the Messiah. He takes Jesus aside and begins to reprimand him. Peter was a character. He says, heaven forbid, Lord, that this would ever happen to you. Jesus turns to Peter and says, get away from me, Satan. Says you're a, da- a dangerous trap for me. You are only you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, a natural point of view, and not from God's. So here's another way that you can that can help you discern that the enemy's at work. So Satan will use people, even good people, to bring discouragement into your life. The word discouragement, when you break it, actually means to remove courage. God gives you a dream, God gives you a desire, God gives you a passion for something, and somebody says, that's stupid. You can't do that. Why in the world would you think I would use you to do that? What happens? Immediately discouragement comes. It's to remove the courage that it's going to take to do the thing God told you to do. And even well-meaning good people doesn't mean that they're bad people. But if the devil can use them as his mouthpiece, he will. I've shared this many times. But in my own life, I can remember when I was in college and I was, you know, pursuing a degree and this and that. But I knew the Lord had called me to the ministry. And so, you know, I really went to college just to honor my parents because I didn't have nowhere to preach. So, you know, what do you do when you're a preacher and you ain't got nowhere to preach? You better go find a job, right? Or something to do. And so when I was young and so I went to college. And so I was in college for a couple years. And uh, But I knew that the, 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 it really just come to the point where it was like, okay, I've got to start to, you know, I, it was very clear. I'll just say it that way. That the Lord had said it—it was time, and so I was going to go to Bible school. And I remember we were at some kind of family gathering—I don't remember—and uh, and so I don't remember how, but somehow it came up that I was leaving college to pursue the ministry, and uh, and to you know really to step into that. And my mom's mother, my grandmother, she looked me dead in the eyes, and she looked at me—I mean, as serious as she could be—and said, "You'll be broke the rest of your life." Praise the Lord, Grandma. I love you so much. You're just the best grandma in the world. She was a Christian lady. She went to church every time the doors were open. But that was her understanding. She's like, you're going to be broke the rest of your life. And thankfully, my mom was standing right next to me. And I remember she grabbed me on this arm and she goes, you don't listen to a word she says. uh, You know. She knew her mom, and she had grown up with her, and so she understood those things. But, here's the thing. Even though my mom was standing there and said, don't listen to a word she says. She passed away a few years later. For more than a decade, those words rang in my mind. To the point that it even motivated me to prove her wrong. In a wrong way. I didn't want to just be blessed and prosperous in my calling. I wanted to prove her wrong. That discouragement, long after she died, those words echoed. And they had power. That discouragement lived for years in my life. That was the work of the enemy. She probably made the statement and didn't think a thing about it ever again. But she was a willing vessel and the, the enemy jumped on that in that moment. So you have to... Even even trusted people, you may have to go to the Lord and say, "Lord, was there any truth in what they said to me? I trust them and I love them, but was that really from you, or was that something that the enemy was using to to discourage me? Because and it's not. I mean, it's not hard to know if it discourages you. I mean, you know, it's not hard to see that. Here's the third one." And this is the one, I, you know, I mean, the first two are equally, but I think this is probably one of the most prevalent in our lives. It's wrong and negative thoughts. Wrong and negative thoughts. Originally, when I wrote it, I just said negative thoughts. And the more that I begin to read and pray about it and think about it and just kind of, it's also wrong thoughts. You know, the devil will whisper thoughts. He'll, you know, he'll, he'll deposit. And you ever had that moment where a thought just comes and you're like, where in the world did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. Just out of the blue, has nothing to do with any thought you've ever previously had. Yeah. And you're like, man, that's a random thought. Yeah. You need to figure out where it came from. Because the enemy likes to sow seeds. Yeah. Wrong thoughts, negative thoughts, whatever it may be. And I'm going to show you an example of this inscription in just a moment. See, the devil is Persistent. One of his greatest tactics is this, is to drop a thought in our mind and then we believe it was our own thought, never realizing that we just got deviled. Let me say it a little more modern. You just got played by the devil because you took a thought thinking, that's my thought. No, it's not your thought. That was the devil's thought who he wants you to now begin to act and to make decisions based off of a wrong and a negative thought. That's the way he works. He gets into our thought life. And so, and what happens? He drops a seed and he runs away. But seeds grow. That's why the Bible gives us the instructions. It says to pull down every thought that exalts itself against what? The Word of God. Any thought that does not line up with the Word of God, you need to go pull it up like a weed in a garden. Why? Because weeds don't go away. They grow. Wrong and negative thoughts will grow. Let me read you something out of Genesis chapter 1. This is the account of uh, man's fall with Adam and Eve in the garden. And it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals, in verse 1, that the Lord God had made. It says, One day he asked the woman, Did God really say not to eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? That's already a wrong thought. It's already a wrong statement. He's already lied in the very first Thing that he said, because God didn't say that they couldn't eat anything. He said one tree. In a middle of a grove of trees, don't eat the one. Just a side note. That's actually a type and shadow of the tithe. God says, Don't touch that. That one belongs to me. Just a side note there for you. So Satan asked him and says, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees? Eve responds and says, of course, we may eat from the, uh, from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God says, you must not eat or even touch it, which now she's lied. That's not what God said. Because she said, no, we can't eat it, which is what God said. God said. Do not eat the fruit. Well, now she's added, don't touch it. So what do we see? Satan has now got her to question what was said. So now she's thinking about like, well, what was the command? And now she's added something that God didn't say, which is, hey, you can't even touch it. So now we've got, you see how this works, right? The devil started with one thought that's now got her to think something else that wasn't true. It's a wrong thought. Both of them are wrong. But now she's wrestling. She's kind of trying to figure out It says, it's only the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat of. And it says, uh, you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And Satan says, you won't die. What did God say? If you eat the fruit, you will surely die. He didn't say you might. He said you will. Now, it wasn't physical death. It was spiritual death. It was spiritual separation from God. That, That word where God says, if you eat of it, you will die. He says, in dying, you will die. So it's, it's a twofold death. There's physical death because, you know, Adam and Eve, God did not intend for them to die. He did not create them for death. The curse and sin brought death. But even at a greater uh, depth is spiritual depth, death. And that's what that brought about. And yet Satan says, oh, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And it says, and she was convinced. As a pastor, I can tell you, I've sat down with multiple people who were convinced of something. And I looked at them and said, that's not true. You're seeing something completely wrong. Your perception is off. But they're convinced. Oh, no. God said this, this, and this. God won't violate his word. That is not true. What you call faith is presumption. Because what you're saying violates God's word. God does not change his mind. He has said his word. And yet you can be convinced, and and if you're not careful, the enemy will come in through wrong and through negative thoughts and convince you that this is what the word says, but that's not what it meant. That's really what he did right here. God says you're gonna. God loves you too much to kill you. And see, so that thought process begins to roll, and then that thought leads to another, and it all of a sudden starts snowballing. And the next thing you know, you're questioning everything you've ever believed. And how did it start with one thought, with one negative thought, and it spirals out of control? That's the work of the enemy. Why? Because ultimately, he doesn't care about the thought; he cares about the result. He wants to steal, kill, to destroy those desires, those things that God has placed in you. And he's after those. The Amplified Bible here where it talks about in verse 1 that um, the serpent was more shrewd or cunning. The Amplified says it this way, that he was more crafty and subtle and skilled in deceit. The enemy is not just going to come knock on your door and say, I'm the devil, I'd like to come in. He's going to bring somebody into your life. He's going to bring somebody into your life that that he can maneuver to begin to work his plan in your life. He's going to bring a circumstance or situation into your life that is going to rattle you. To what? To get you off of what God has for you. Now those are three things, three areas that the enemy works pretty diligently in our lives. But I want to read you one more passage of Scripture before we wrap up for this morning. But And then in the coming weeks, this is really more the focus of these next however many weeks that we're going to be doing this. But um, here in Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle writes in verse 10 and says, in conclusion, so kind of a parting shot, He says, be strong in the Lord. This is out of the Amplified Bible. Be strong in the Lord. Draw your strength from Him. So remember, David said, hey, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord God of of Israel. He's going to conquer you, but I'm going to kill you. Here he says, draw your strength from Him and be empowered through your union with Him. It says, "And uh, and in the power of His boundless might... It says in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God. As his precepts are like splendid armor of a heavily heavily armed soldier. So that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the schemes. And the strategies and the deceits of the devil. Now that's a mouthful. What's he really saying? Put on the whole armor of God so that you can conquer the enemy. I'm going to. I paraphrase that. If you want to conquer the enemy in your life, you're gonna to have to do what he says here. Put on the whole armor of God. In verse twelve it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents. But and there's four categories here. He says, But against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces, in this present darkness, and against spiritual forces, in wickedness or Spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly, supernatural places in the heavens. There's four different, and we probably won't get into it, but there are four different um, types of demonic activity that are listed right there that, that are working. They're working to what? To rob us of everything that God wants for us. That's why they, that's what their whole goal is. But Paul writes and says, therefore, so because you've got some adversaries, he says, hey, you need to put on the whole armor of God, but because you have an opponent, put on the complete armor of God so that you will be able to successfully resist and stand your ground in the evil day and having done everything that the crisis demands, stand firm in your place. I think that's an important word right there, stand in your place. Yeah. I'm not trying to be something where I'm not trying to be someone or something that I'm not supposed to be. I just want to stand in my place as a child of God. Mm-hmm. So when the devil comes and messes with me, devil, you're trespassing. I, I belong to the Lord. And I'm going to stand firm in that place. Stand firm in your in your place, fully prepared, immovable, and victorious. When we walk in the light of scripture, when it comes to the areas of what we're going to be talking about is the armor of God. He gives a whole list. He begins to list off all the armor. In other words, what are the tools in your bag? I'm a tool guy. I love tools. Like I buy tools and look for the job that I needed it for. I'm not even kidding you. I'm not even kidding you. There's like, do you need that? Yes. Do I have a place for it? Not yet. I will build it. Like, you know, I mean, that's me. But you want to know one of the most frustrating things to me? Is when I'm looking for a tool and I can't find it. Or, I need it and then i got to figure out how to use it. Like, I ain't got time to figure this out. I should have got this thing out sooner. And figured out how it worked. And here it says... That we're to put on the whole armor of God so that we can be fully prepared for what? For a fight. And you can be fully prepared for a fight. God's word promises us, my hands are trained for fight. They're trained for war. And I don't have to shrink back. Why? Because God is on my side. He will equip me and, and, and really enable me. And let me say this: He will prepare me ahead of time. He knows what fight's coming. He knows that there's a Goliath coming. Hey, here's a lion. Here's a bear. David shouldn't even have been at the battlefield. He was taking lunch to his brothers. But yet God said, David, there's a Goliath, and you're not ready for Goliath, so I'm going to give you this bear. That bear was preparation ahead of time. That lion was preparation ahead of time. Just as the psalmist said, your hands are prepared for war. God will prepare you for those things that you are to walk through. The only way you overcome something is to come over it. (laughs) I mean, you realize that. You got to get past it. And God has given you spiritual equipment. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We don't just live in a physical world. This physical world one day will go completely away. But the spiritual world will last for eternity. It's the more real side of our life. It's the more real side of our existence. This flesh suit that we all possess right now. The Bible says it will either go back to dirt or it will be swallowed up with immortality. Even this tent, this suit that we wear. We call it our flesh, our skin, our bodies. It will not last forever. That's why we have aches and groans sometimes too. Because it's not intended to live forever. But we will get a new one. But our spirit man will go on for eternity. How long is that? Forever. How long is that? I don't know. Forever. But we've been prepared. And God has given us equipment. He has tools in our bag and we need to know how to use them. Because there are some things on that list, I'll be quite honest with you, until I started studying I was like, why do I need shoes? But when you actually understand in the context of what was being said, it'll give you a lot more understanding about, oh, that's what that's talking about. I didn't realize that. And so over these however many weeks, we're going to be going through really the armament that he has because I believe that as we do it as as you're aware as to how to use it and, and really the purpose of it it will help you to make sure that the enemy stays defeated in your life and in your family